Welcome to Companion Pass. I'm Lindsay Branquino, and we're about to take a wild ride into the lesser-known side of rodeo life. While the biggest names in rodeo are out in the arena entertaining us all, these are the stories of the people behind the scenes, supporting them and holding it all together. Unfiltered conversations with the partners, parents, and children of your favorite rodeo athletes on what it takes to navigate relationships, raise families, and pursue careers while the ones they love are out chasing their gold buckle dreams. Whether you're a part of this big rodeo family, a fan of the action, or a lover of Western culture, Companion Pass is where you'll find all of the insights you've been craving. Well, my guest today is somebody who really needs no introduction, but her introduction is so impressive that I'm not going to start the episode without giving her one nonetheless. She is an NFR qualifier. She is a mom of three. And she is also the wife of a 26-time world champion. We have Shada Brazil. Thanks so much for being here, Shada. Lindsay, thanks for having me. And thanks for the sweet introduction. I appreciate that. It's true. I feel like I could have used the entire episode just like running down the list of your family's accomplishments. (laughs) (laughs) So of all of the things that I do know about you... I don't think I know how you and Trevor met. Will you tell me that story? Yeah. So I don't really remember like the exact day or whatever, because we were so young. I was like 12, I think. I may have been younger. I'm not sure, but he came to Roy's Roping Schools when he was young. And so I guess we met somewhere along those years. And then everyone teased us that we had a crush on each other. I would dart the other way. You know how that is when you're that age and everything's embarrassing. We met and then didn't see each other for a few years. And then he went to Vernon Junior College and I was living in Childress. And he would come to Roy's to practice a little bit. So we met again, more officially, a little bit older. And that was it. I mean, he's truly just kind of always been a part of your life. Yeah, yeah, since I was 17. So I think that's really cool. And too, then it sounds like since he had a relationship with the rest of your family, he just always has been a part of the family then, right? Yeah. So my brothers were six and eight, I think, when we started dating. So they've grown up with him, just always being there too. So they would wrestle on the floor and chase each other through the house with little bow and arrows and played like brothers. And so they've always been just tight, tight like brothers are. Yeah. And from what I know about your family, and you have such a huge like your family's roots in rodeo just branch out all over the place we need to like mock up a whole like rodeo family tree so everybody can see all the connections and stuff but really (laughs) you just you are rodeo and you all seem so close to each other so it's really neat when somebody else comes in the family and just so quickly assimilates to that Sure, it just fits right in and so true my granddad Clifton Smith he went to the NFR Gosh, I, years ago, I don't even, I need to find out what year yeah. that was, but in the tie down. And he was one of the first ones to get off on the right. Back in the day, they would get off their horse on the left and go under the ropes. He was one of the first ones to start doing that. So that's kind of my roots is my grandparents. And like I said, he rodeoed and calf roped. And so it just went from there. It's always been in everyone in my family. It's in our blood for sure. Yeah. Do you think that growing up in a family like that, 
do you think it was just a foregone conclusion that you would marry a rodeo cowboy? Or did you ever have second thoughts? Oh, I'm not sure that's for me. Honestly, no, I didn't think I would. I don't know why. <laughs> but my dad, I, I rode cutting horses growing up. My dad has been involved in the cutting his whole life. And so that's what I started out doing. And I actually didn't start rodeo. I've always rode horses, but I actually right. didn't start rodeo until I was a freshman in high school. I was big into basketball and cheerleading and all the things that you do in a small town. So I did start a little bit later. Yeah. So you and Trevor, then you've gotten married, just starting your life together. You've always traveled together, like in his rodeo career. You guys have always gone together. Was that ever a decision that you thought about? Or did you always just think, yeah, of course, we'll go together when he's rodeoing? I don't think I ever thought there was another option. Yeah. And even when we had Tristan, when he came along and was at school age, five years old, I just started teaching him. We would learn stuff with rocks in the stands. I mean, that's how he learned math, seriously. And we learned how to spell and read just right there at Slack. And so I homeschooled Tristan until he went into fifth grade because we continued to go with Trevor and rodeoed with him. I never really even questioned it. I just did it. It It's just what we both wanted to do. I didn't want to stay home. It's a really unique perspective that you are bringing to the podcast now, because I think everybody else that I've had on so far has either stayed mostly at home or just has traveled with their significant other kind of intermittently, but not like full-time raising kids on the road. And I know that there were times that I considered doing that with Luke, especially after we had kids. And it was a little bit different being a bulldogger because he always travels with a pack. But there was times when I considered going with him when we had the kids just because it was so hard for us to be apart. Mm -hmm. And the idea of not just giving up a comfortable life at home where you have Mm -hmm. a shower, you're in one spot, you have a routine and raising kids like that was so overwhelming to me. I think that it would have been a really hard transition for me to then go out and do it. And so hearing your experience about raising, like truly raising kids on the road is totally different. From my perspective, kudos to you and the girls that stayed home because that's hard. I mean, you're home keeping a house together, no help, raising kids, spanking them on your own. You don't have dad that you don't, you can't threaten with that. I threaten with that all the time. You know, just the little things, the day in and the day out that I, I would think, I mean, that's a job. From my perspective, I respect that. Every household, what works for each family, whatever works best, that's what you should do. But yeah, I remember we would leave middle of May, probably first of June and not come home. I wouldn't see my house until October 1st. My favorite thing was my shower and all the hot water I wanted because after months on the road, you miss those things. But the kids, they just learned how to be adaptable. So now they're pretty easy. They just roll with the flow. On the flip side of that, keeping a schedule is kind of harder for them. We've had to really work on that because they didn't grow up, happened to be super scheduled. And so now that they're in school and have their own little things, that's been an adjustment. They're kind of over that hump now. But in the beginning, that was a few of the things that we had to work through and figure out. That's really interesting because I never considered that aspect of it is that they're going from this kind of wild and free life as kids where they're in a different town every day and this and that to being in one spot and having to like, you know, be at school at eight o'clock in the morning and sit there all day. That could be really hard. Yeah, for sure. I read somewhere and this is not a direct quote, so I'm not going to get it totally right. 
But I read somewhere when you were talking about how you never viewed having to go with Trevor, that you weren't just his wife, and that every gold buckle, it was something that you guys worked towards together. And I thought that was really cool because I'm sure the ways that you contributed and just being by his side and going with him had a lot to do with his success. He was able to have his rodeo career that was so incredible, you know, chasing his dream and still have his family by his side. He got the best of both worlds there, right? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, he did it in the arena. I don't take credit for that. But I do think that I enjoyed being in the practice pen with him. I enjoyed turning cattle out, tying with him, warming up horses, whatever it was. I enjoyed being right there with him, helping him and training the young horses. There's so many different angles and so much that that I could help out with and we were best friends and we were hanging out in the practice pen and I loved it. Well, I I think that's the thing though, is that you weren't just a wife traveling with him. Like your job didn't start and stop at videoing his runs from the stands. You were really like, and I guess that's what I was trying to say, is of course it was his talent and the things he accomplished out in the arena that earned him those gold buckles and that success. But you were a really integral part in all those things you just listed and taking care of the horses and, and getting them down the road and being out there practicing. I never liked sitting in the stands. I wanted to be in the action. I wanted to be booting his horse up, warming his, his horse up. And he was entered in three events. And so he needed someone to warm a calf horse up while he was getting his head horse ready or a steer horse or hold a horse. I always enjoyed just being behind the scenes, not sitting in the stands. And that's something that I definitely want to touch on too, that I don't have any experience in. Because if anybody doesn't know who Trevor is, he didn't just compete in one event, which is what I would say the majority of guys who rodeo do is they oftentimes will start out high school or college rodeoing, doing a lot of different events. And by the time they've reached a professional level, they've honed in on one and that's where they put their focus and time and energy. But Trevor is one of the few that has gone out and found like world champions in multiple events all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I know how much goes into a single event and I can't imagine that's times three like how do you even survive that you do just need help right with the logistics of that it's so true I remember when he was like I don't know 19 or 20 he was considering just focusing on the tie down and it was a battle like it was a big decision for him to continue the pace of working at all three or just two, or just one. And it was a decision that we didn't take lightly. We made it together. And he felt like God had given him the talent to do all three. And it might be triple the work. And it truly is triple the work. Like a lot of times when, you know, you drive all night to slack, to the tie down slack, then a lot of the cap ropers, they can have that night off. Well, he's got to go get his team roping horse warmed up and then drive all night to a trip in the next day. On the road, it was a lot more work, three events. And then when we threw the barrel racing in there, that was just complete madness. And I definitely want to talk more about the barrel racing in a minute. But I'm wondering, is is there any downside or any aspect that you think people aren't aware of that comes along with being married to somebody who has success on such a massive level? 
Yeah, there's pressure. You know, the more world championships he would win, I remember every year, it was like the more pressure came because I was expected. And rodeo is such a humbling sport. Anybody that has put their name down or married to somebody that has put their name down knows that it is a very humbling sport. And I think that there is pressure. The more you win, the more pressure you have. And um, as long as uh, you keep your focus where it needs to be, and I think his focus um, has been his work ethic. And I think as long as he was prepared in the practice bin, then the pressure didn't get to him so much that he couldn't perform. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that there was a certain point where even me living a rodeo lifestyle, it kind of just became this foregone conclusion. The year (laughs) starts and it's like, well, Trevor's won the all around this year. And I could see that being really difficult because that level of pressure is that everyone just assumes and he can go out there and be winning a ton. What would be any guy in the top 15 is like, oh, you're having a great year. Mm -hmm. But if his name's not in that number one all around Mm -hmm. spot because he was so dominant, then it's like, what's wrong with Trevor? Mm -hmm. Is something wrong? Is he not winning? Yeah. Did you ever have times as a wife that you had to like lift him up or support him through moments like that? Like maybe he is having the pressures getting to him or he's kind of having a dry spell or. Yeah. Oh, constantly as a rodeo wife, you have to be supportive. You have to be supportive because they want to win. They're trying to win. And when they don't, and they come home and you're mad at him, it's not doing anybody any good. Like I always say, Trevor broke a lot of barriers, but I never got mad at him for breaking a barrier. I'm like, you're trying to win. You'll get back up. And I never got mad at him for missing. The one thing I would get mad at him about, and maybe it's because um, I grew up around a lot of calf ropers, but I would get mad at him if he missed strong one or misses Huey. I'm like, that's just a lack of focus. But like, they're trying to win and you have to be that. You have to be a constant. And that was part of my job to yeah. make sure I was the same. And now that he and Tristan are roping, that's been a whole new experience. But yeah, going back to the pressures each year, I think Trevor spent more time, the longer his career went, the more time he spent in the practice pen. And I think a lot of people probably spend more time in the practice pen in the beginning of their career. He was in the practice pen longer the longer his career went. He wanted to know he was prepared. He wanted to know his horses were spot on. And if we did have a day off rodeoing, which was not very often, if we did, we were finding an arena somewhere and we were going to go rope. We were going to work on our horses. I think that helped him and helped him deal with pressure. Yeah. Going back to you saying that you saw it as your job to kind of support him through those times, I kind of always saw it that way with Luke too, where being home, he would have to call and you'd go through those times where he's having a dry spell and he'd have to call home and let me know how mm-hmm. I did. And I find when it's like rodeo after rodeo and he's calling and it's like, oh, how'd you do today? And he's like, oh, no good. Mm-hmm. No good. They make enough of those phone calls in a row that I'm like, gosh, I always thought I don't want to feel like one more person he's letting down because for there's sure. a certain expectation for somebody at the top of their game to constantly be mm-hmm. winning. And that's not something he ever told me, but that was the sense I got is that you don't want to keep being like, oh, no good again and answering those questions. 
And so seeing it as like that being your opportunity Mm -hmm. not to be like, oh, that's too bad. Again, another bad run. What happened at this time? And just being like, you know what? That's all right. Tomorrow's the day or just constantly being encouraging and helping them find that silver lining. It doesn't mean that you have to be unrealistic. You know, at some point you can talk about the run, break it down if he wants to. If he doesn't want to, fine. But I think just I think more than anything, just not getting mad, not being angry, mad or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Not adding to that pressure that they're already feeling. Yeah. So back to the barrel racing, because in 2013, you made the NFR in the barrel racing. Let's talk about that year. Oh, goodness. That was a wild year. I had bought Dial It. Brittany had him at Waco at the circuit finals. And Trevor asked her, he's like, man, what is that? He's, he's like, you could head on that horse. He liked how he looked and everything. So it's his fault. I always tease him. She kind of told him, oh, this is his first rodeo. And a couple of weeks went by or maybe a month went by. And she called me and said, hey, I'm coming up for Fort Worth Slack. And Trevor asked me about this horse if you want to try him. And... um the week before, I had lost two horses in two days. One had broke his leg out in the pasture, and the other one had salmonella. And that one got me. It got me good because those horses were ready to start taking the slacks, and they were both doing really well. And like that one got me to my knees. And like in the middle of that, I was like, okay, God, tears just running down. I'm not mad about this. I trust you. I know you have a good plan. Your word says you have a good plan for my life. I believe it. So I'm giving this to you. And I got up and dropped my tears. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done crying. And I think Brittany, I think it was like the next week. That's when Brittany called and said, I'm bringing dial it. Or, or she said, I have this horse. And I don't, you want me to bring him up, let you try him. And I was like, no, I'm just kind of, I'm taking a break for a minute. So she came, ran barrels, went home and she made the short rounds. She called me to the, I'm coming back for the short round. I'm bringing dial it. I'm like, okay, Brittany, if you saddle him for me, I'll jump on. And I was messing with her. So she did. She came to my house. She saddled the horse for me. He ran off while she was trying to put his bridle on. And I just went half speed, a little bit more than that. He bucked leaving the third barrel and I loved him. I was like, I don't know. I love this horse. And so they let me take him for a couple weeks and it was just a good fit. We definitely had a few bugs to work through, but Latricia Duke had trained him and she did a fabulous job with him. And I just took him, seasoned him a little bit that year. That was 2012. And then by 2013, we were ready to enter more. So entered some of the winter rodeos and one San Antonio and just plugging along pretty good. And then I guess when I took off in first of June to go, I was going to go to Canada before Calgary. And when I left in June, I was sixth or seventh in the world. And at the end of July, I was 33rd. I won $500 from the month of July, the biggest month of rodeo. We had been stranded in Canada for some mudslides. It was just story after story. Couldn't get to rodeos. My horse wasn't working. It was not easy. I was 33rd and we were at Cheyenne and we were trying to make a decision. And people were saying, just send him home. Get ready for next year. You've had a great year. I just couldn't do it deep down. No part of me can quit right now. And I um, just worked on some things and tweaked some things with my horse. And then um, the last six weeks, he he did really good. And we went, I guess, ended up 13th, I think. So 
I think that period of time during the year that you were just speaking of is a turning point for a lot of rodeo athletes where you hit that spot and you're maybe in the top 30 or 40 and you're like, oh gosh, you're looking at it, you're outside the top 15 and you know you have that last push and there are some big rodeos, but the majority of the years behind you, everybody's tired by that point. You've been gone from home and you know that you're going to be spending a lot of money getting down the road, getting to all the rest of the rodeos. And so at that point, I think, you know, a lot of people have to look at that and you're like, do I cut my losses, start prepping for, for next sure. year, re-energize, get whatever it is, or do I like barrel back mm-hmm. into this? And so what a cool time for you that you can look back and be like, all right, that was such motivation for me. And so you went into that final stretch with like kind of a renewed sense of energy or purpose, maybe. For sure. I think, you know, I had to dig deep because the easy thing would be send my horse home, let him rest, enjoy the rest of the year and get ready for next year. That definitely would have been the easier decision, but I just couldn't do it. I just could not do it. I had tried some other horses and no other horses were working out. And then I think right after that Caldwell, I think I went really good there. And so that helped to keep me motivated for the the last little bit, last six weeks or whatever. And then at Pendleton, I knew my horse would be great there because he was really fast, but didn't turn good. <laughs> so I was like, this is our setup. No, but so I went and practiced kind of out in the field the day before. He felt really good. I was really excited. And I was up in the first perf. And that morning I was riding him out and Darren Slack and he tried to go down with me. And I rushed him back to our trailer and ripped the saddle off. And he just fell to the ground. And I said, something's wrong with my horse. He's trying to call it. Let's pray over him. And so I put my hand over his stomach and he prayed over him because I knew I was like, this is not the plan. God has a good plan for this horse. This is not his will for this horse to be suffering. And I prayed over my horse and I pray over Trevor's horses. I have since he had a horse in college named Touchdown, got him from Joe Beaver. He was very instrumental in helping Trevor make um, the finals, I think his first year. And He had some soundness issues. That's when we started learning how to pray over the horses. Not that everything's easy and you know what I mean, but it's his will for us to do good and be happy if we work on it. That's what he wants. And we started doing that a long time ago. So we're just continue on fast forward and we prayed over him and I called the vet went to work on him and this horse looked like he was dying. He had a sticky sweat from his ears to his back of his feet, like all across his whole body. It was the strangest thing I'd ever seen. His eyes were closed and he was just breathing big, deep breaths. And it's about rodeo time now. And they're driving by in four wheelers and there's lots of commotion right there, right where all the trailers are parked. And he didn't care. He was just laying there, eyes closed for a little bit for probably a good 30, 40 minutes. And so the vet went to work on him. And I remember Stetson, my cousin, Stetson Best came over and people were coming up offering me other horses because they knew the position I was in. I was 17th and this is Pendleton. And he came over and he said, what are you going to ride? And I just remember tears rolling down my face and I looked down on the ground and I pointed to my horse and I said, I'm riding him. And he <laughs> he looked at me like, oh, she's lost it. And he said, okay. And he just walked away. He's like, I can't deal with her right now. She's gone crazy. But anyway, about an hour later, he jumped up and was grazing and um, 
couple hours later, I had saddled him and the vet came over and I said, okay, you make this call. I can't make this call. You make it. And he said, get on him and ride him around. And he felt fine. And I ran him. And after I ran, I was winning the rodeo and I went from 17th to 13th at Pendleton. So. Oh my gosh. That is an amazing story. Leading up to 2013, did you think in this decade of going with Trevor before this time period, were you always looking for that horse? Were you always like, okay, there'll be a a point in time where I'm in a rodeo trying to make the finals? Was that something that you always had in your mind or as a goal? I think I always liked the idea of it. I didn't know if it would, would be realistic for me. I didn't know if it could really happen. I would just get on like, Trevor's horses and that's how I kept him in shape I would train him around the barrels so I had always just had that kind of secret hope of maybe this one would get so good in the barrels that he would become a barrel horse but Texaco Trevor's little calf horse that was so good for so many years I got him to where he, he could smoke the barrel pattern but I didn't have it in my heart to enter on him because he was such a good calf horse so that plan didn't work out for me because he was already doing enough work for the family within the in the cap roping but it was always like an idea that would be really cool but realistically probably no and I, and I think I mostly just wanted to have a tough horse to be able to enter the big rodeos and have fun with it and then after when I won San Antonio I think that was the first like indication hey this horse might be strong enough to where I could I could make a run for it yeah so at, at that point too you had two of your kids then. How in the world did you do it all? There's always that question, like, how does she do it? And I think of you in that example, because I can't even imagine how many different directions you're going. But you also have two kids who, at the time, I'm assuming you were... Yeah, they were just three and five. Okay, you were kind of on the beginning end of that. But just the thought of that is overwhelming enough for me personally to be like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I can take all of that on. I'm like, I'm tired thinking about what you did. But how did you manage that? Well, I had a lot of help. My mom came with me, which was just lifesaver. And then I had Bambi Rob with me, helping me with dial it and the horses. I did. I had a lot of help. But I will also say I didn't get a lot of sleep that year. Um, I literally slept through Christmas that year on the couch while everyone's unwrapping presents just out. It was a lot. But it's like in the moment, God gives you the grace and the energy and, and the strength. I definitely had to stay focused and looking back, I'm like, that was that was busy. But what a cool like firsthand thing to be able to show your kids is obviously they have mm-hmm. Trevor to look up to. And not just you rodeo-wise, but in that moment to be like, look what mom can do. I I think that's so special. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But I do think, and I preach to them all the time, you can do whatever you set your mind to and then work hard at it. Like you just, you set your mind and you go do it. And don't let anything stop you. Don't let any person, no matter, you know, along the way, you're going to have critics. You're going to have hardships, but you just have to keep digging, keep going and work hard and set your mind to it and go do it. So take us to the finals that year. There's this night round one energy that's just, I don't think no matter how many times you go to the finals, that first round when everybody runs in for the grand entry, it's just like electric in the Thomas and Mac. That's so cool. So take us to that night for you for the first time, not Mm -hmm. in the stands as a spectator, but in the arena as a competitor, 
And with Trevor alongside Mm -hmm. him, it was a blast. It was so cool to ride behind the Texas flag behind him. I think that was my favorite part. And I did have just such a sense of calmness. I will say like when I went and had a seat in the stands, I was way more nervous and jittery. Like when I was next to him and in the arena and with our horses, it was more just like a sense of calmness, just more peace. I guess because I had more control over what I was doing and I was right there with him. Like I talked about earlier, I like being down by the horses. That's where I prefer it. So when you're sitting in the stands, there's so many unknowns. And when you're down there talking, like I knew what Kathy had. I knew who had him before. And I don't bug him with all the little questions. When I'm down there, I can... I know I found out all the good stuff and I liked it down there a lot. So we talked a little bit about the ways that you supported Trevor throughout his career. In that year when you're rodeoing like that, in what ways did he support you? Oh gosh, he just everything from entering to, we had two rigs, sometimes three rigs going. And sometimes he would send me, he had a a driver and I had Bambi and my mom. And sometimes I'd take the driver too. And I had to have the kids. <laughs> we argued about that. But we argued one time and <laughs> then he realized, okay, she's serious about this. I can't <laughs> take the kids. Because I was like, I cannot do what I need to do if I can't see them. I have to know that they're yeah. right there. They're good. And I can relax and go do my job. I had to have my eyes on them. So that didn't make him real happy when we first talked about it. But then he supported that and he wanted them with him too. You know, he had always had them with him, but it would just be for a day or two here and there. And then our rigs would meet back up. But yeah, I think he knew that it was going to be crazy. And because like I said, he did three events and we're adding a fourth. He knew how crazy it would be, but he supported me anyway. And I left before he did that summer and he sent me flowers and I put them in my in the living quarters trailer and it said, I believe in you. So, you know, that was just enough said. He, you know, like, okay, we got this. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I'm continually hearing is that you guys are just really a team. You approach all of your life together that way as a team, which I think is huge. You know, you have to be supportive of one another and You have to be a team. Yeah. So we've spoken about your kids a little bit. You have three great little kids. You've got two girls and a son. And I know from following you that you guys are so busy. You do everything. And you don't just do everything, but you do it at like the (laughs) highest level. And it seems like they're finding a lot of success in their sports in, in Treston's rodeoing and stuff. How much of that do you think comes from watching both you and Trevor or the mindset that they see in you? Do you think it's a a nature versus nurture type of thing? That's a great question. Yes and no. And I have read a little bit about nature versus nurture and I still question it. There's so much to look into and so many different views, but yes, they see they see work ethic. To this day, Trevor, this summer, he's down there every morning, six AM until dark or whatever in the summer he quits about one o'clock but when it's not 110 degrees but they see work ethic they know and they get it from him and the way he leads them is pretty incredible just how you don't blame anybody but yourself if you're not getting the play time you want go to the gym we're not going to blame a coach we're not going to blame another friend it's on you 
So if you want it, you do it. And that's just how we are. If you don't like what someone said, oh, well, like get over it, get over it. Life's not just all good. You have to deal with it, let it go. And I think that's one thing that he teaches me a lot. Like just, man, if someone doesn't like you or if you're not getting the playtime you want, it's on you. We teach that a lot and Tristan is roping a lot more. And so they work on all the little things and the mental things and Styles playing basketball a lot. She played this year with an Adidas team, with a 15U team, and she's 13. In the beginning, she had challenges because she was the youngest one on the team and she wasn't starting. And so we worked through that. And towards the end of the year, she was starting and playing pretty much most of the games. That was a good lesson for her that you just, you got to dig in. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I feel like I'm always talking to the kids about and sometimes indirectly in the lessons you're trying to teach them is that personal accountability, which is what you're talking about. Like you have to be accountable for your own success for what you're putting into things and what you want to get out of life, out of your relationships, out of anything that you want to do. So Tristan now, who's a sophomore in high school, I I love, by the way, how much (laughs) the two of you rope together and are going and doing that. That is not just like a dad and son thing. It's like a mom and son thing. I think that's so cool that he gets to go and do that with you. But since he's going down this rodeo road, at any point has there been a moment for you as a mom that's like, you worry about him kind of living in Trevor's shadow or what big shoes he has to fill if he decides to pursue a rodeo career? You know, I get that question a lot. And maybe I should, but I just don't. You know how people come to me and say, you have no idea how much pressure he's under. Every time they announce him, they're going to announce his daddy. I'm like, that's a good thing. It's okay. But that reminds me of another question I used to always get how do you do it? How do you rodeo full-time? How do you travel full-time? And I didn't realize until Trevor retired why people were asking me that. You know, like, what do you mean? How do I do this? This is what we do. I don't know how someone stays home and has a perfectly scheduled life. I think that's cool, but I couldn't do it. So I didn't understand that question. And so I'm there with this question. Is it a lot of pressure on him? And maybe I should ask Tristan. But I don't see it. I don't see it as being pressure on him. Like he's his own person. He has his own goals and dreams. Well, it certainly doesn't seem like it's something that he's experiencing, obviously, if, if it's not an issue in your guys' lives. And and I think that's one of the things is sometimes the, the mm-hmm. outside world can put that pressure on you. Like you're mm-hmm. saying, maybe I should think about it. But if it just is not yeah. an issue in your life, then it can be a non-issue. I know that I've had moments of Cade now through junior high rodeo and now going into high school rodeo and really wanting to steer Russell is I've had a couple moments of, gosh, I hope that he doesn't feel those things like pressure to be great because how do you live up to that? And like you said, they are their own person. I think more than that, I had moments when he was really expressing Mm -hmm. interest in steer wrestling where I was worried that he felt Mm -hmm some sort of pressure yes. to pursue that. Yes. Like maybe it wasn't really his passion, but that he felt like, all right, this, and especially as the oldest child too, like I got to go and do this. Now I have worried about that same thing too. That yes, that's so true. And that's why we exposed them to different things. You know, they played soccer when they were little, they played baseball, football. So I wanted to let them know that just because you have an arena out your front door and doesn't mean you have to do this. So that was definitely a concern I had. Yeah. I think that the only way I've found to be able to combat that is to just constantly check in with him and being like, 
is this something that you genuinely have a passion in? Because you're not going to be letting anybody down. I'm not going to be disappointed. Your dad's not going to be disappointed. We're not going to get to some point like, oh, he should have been a steer wrestler. It doesn't matter. I don't care what you want to do. And I get the question a lot. Do you want your kids to already? I'm like, I don't care what they do. If they find something that they are passionate about and love it and can learn and devote their time and energy to. I've always said that because style doesn't rodeo and Tristan didn't for a long time. And when he was like, he only started in junior high, but my response was whatever makes their heart beat. Because in this day and age, you have to be passionate about what you're doing because everything is, I guess, not hard, but everything somebody's going to be passionate about. Somebody is going to have been working hard on it. So competitive. So you have to love it and you have to be passionate about what you do. Yeah. You touched on it a little bit a few minutes ago, but (laughs) Trevor has retired now. Luke retired this last December. And that was a huge adjustment just mentally for him mostly. But of course, that trickles down through the entire family. Was What was that like for you guys? I think we were ready for it. I think as a family, as a whole, we were ready. Because the year before he had questioned it, but he didn't feel completely ready. And then that year when he said it, we were ready. He always said, when I'm done, I'm going to be done, you know. And people joke with him, I thought you were retired. He is retired from full-time rodeo trying to go to the NFR. Will he enter Cheyenne here and there? Yeah, probably. And he enters the Paturities. He goes horses and training team roping horses and that's been a blast for us and he loves riding and training the young horses so I don't want him to come home because going back to being passionate this is what he's passionate about and that's what he loves and so I'm glad that he's staying in the arena doing those things he's just home every night we're home every night so that's the difference So life didn't change too much except for you get to shower in your own shower every night. So uh, there always comes a time in these episodes where I ask the person like their favorite rodeo moment. But I wanted to do it a little bit differently with you. And I was wondering if you could tell me your favorite rodeo moment with your kids, like as a rodeo mom, your favorite moment as a rodeo wife, and then as a competitor. So this is easy. My favorite moment as a mom Tristan, I had him on, I guess, three days before the NFR started in 2007. And Trevor got us home from the hospital, stayed for three hours and flew to Vegas. And we talked about it the the whole time. We were with him day in, day out. And I had never missed a finals. I had never missed a rodeo. So it was my choice to stay home. I just looked at that perfect little baby boy and I was like, I cannot take him to Vegas as a three-day-old baby. I just wasn't there. I wasn't there. It was my first one. And so I stayed home. My mom stayed home with me. And the NFR was in 07. It wasn't live every night on TV, but it was only live on the weekends. So he had a chance to win the Triple Crown and it was the tie-down roping. And he had to be like, I don't remember, 13 or something. So basically, just go tie one down. You win the triple crown. And we're like, this is great. We have our first kid and you win the triple crown. This is amazing. And we're watching it in my living room and he misses. 
And I just literally, I could always keep my composure pretty good, but I guess since I was in the comfort of my own home, I just fall on the floor <laughs> down and I'm crying, which <laughs> was a little emotional from having a baby, I'm sure, but I'm crying. And my mom starts screaming and I look up and it says 2007 tie down world champion. And I'm like, and he's on his horse riding up. He had to loop the calf and under whatever he needed to be and still won it. The range of emotion that I went through in my own living room was something that I will never forget. That was pretty cool. That was fun. I was so ready for him yeah. to be home and just reunite with him and having the baby boy and everything. So that was fun. So that was as a mom. And then as a, what did you say the next one? As a wife? Probably the first time he won the all around because really we just rodeoed because that's what he did. And we just were like, this is how we're going to make a living. This is how we're, we married. I was 22 and he was 24. And that's how we paid the bills. And we always thought he would win it an all around, but you just never know. Like it's, is it going to happen or not? And that year yeah. it was a real tight race and it came down to the very last go around and he pulled it out. And so the first all around buckle was definitely my most memorable as a rodeo wife. And then, oh, as a competitor, that would definitely be the run at Pendleton. Okay. So my last question, we're going to do, we're starting something new on the podcast and I'm excited. You're my guinea pig here. So I'm going to start having all our past guests are going to leave questions for future guests, things that they want to know about or learn about. And, and it's been really fun for me to start getting those questions from people. Your question is, do you have a favorite saying, quote, or scripture that you love or live your life by? I mean, gosh, there's a lot. But for favorite scripture, I love, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future, plans to prosper you and not harm you. I think that's Jeremiah 29, 11. That's so comforting. And, you know, especially rodeoing, because you do, you experience so many highs and lows. And at those lows, you just, if you can just grab onto that scripture, God, the creator of this universe, knows the plans he has for me and my family, and those plans are to prosper us. So we're going to get through this because he's the creator. He has the final word, and I'm going to trust in that. So I love that scripture. It's uplifting, so helpful when you need it. And as far as my favorite saying, I tell my kids all the time, walk in love. I think that's huge. I think that helps you like, it's not going to stick to my back. I'm going to let it go and just, I'm going to walk in love no matter what this person does or says. I'm going to try to find the goodness, try to be kind. But I think the more that I say it and put it out there and the more I tell myself, the easier it becomes. So I love walk in love. I tell them dig deep. Well, Shada, I have enjoyed this time with you so much, getting to hear more about your story and talk to you. I just am really inspired by you and continue to be. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. Well, that's another great episode under our belts, and I'd love to hear what you thought. Share your favorite parts, something that really hit home or inspired you, or just share with others so they can know where to find us. It's the best way for you to cheer on these amazing people whose stories we've heard. So head on over to Instagram, be sure to tag Companion Pass, myself, and today's guests with your greatest takeaway from this episode. Thanks for being a part of our rodeo family, and we'll catch you at the next one. Mm -hmm.